It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main right. And good morning, everyone. I thought I would leave the grasshopper in there for once. Yeah. I, I don't know. We don't always get to the grasshopper. If you're listening on the podcast and you're wondering why, why doesn't Michael start talking? Why does that theme run so long? It's because we're showing pictures here. That's why you need to watch the live stream on uh, on uh, YouTube and on Twitter, on Schmetabook and uh, at Mike Nova. That would be Facebook. Uh, yes. I know we don't say that word, but uh, not for, everyone has that dictionary translation yet. Forever known as Schmetta book, um, to me anyway. And um, we've got, uh, yeah, and, and starting right off, I mean, we've got, uh, and I got fu- a hair in my face. This is my, my, <laughs> my COVID hair is attacking me again, as is its want. Let me put it that way. Um, but um, Audrey and... Are, what? I was going to say, Zan just joined us. She's making coffee, cardamom, sponge cake with salted caramel frosting. I hope you're making at least two extras to yeah, send to Mike and right. Kathleen. And yeah, me. and pop them in a in a in a, in a lift and uh, just send them off to our addresses. We will send those to you. <laughs> um, but I just I did want to say that uh, Greg and uh, Audrey um, are sending prayers for the people of Kentucky. Uh, and Illinois and other places um, that uh, devastating swath of tornadoes, especially the one that mm-hmm. we will be talking about with uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio this morning. Um, I have some video, a uh, couple of, of videos. Um, oh, I hope I put up that other one. I had another one. I think I did. Now I need to check to see if I, I put up the video I wanted to put up here. I've got hmm. one, uh, yes, yes, the drone view of Mayfield is just unbelievable. And a lot of you have already seen it on the news. It's been uh, all, all over yeah, the news. it's on YouTube. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, we are, um, um, oh, who, who, did you just post that? Or, I just, uh, yeah, I just posted all the... Um, Disaster donation, which I'll I'll repost again. Great, yeah. If you go, uh, the disaster information is there. But if you uh, af- you know get off of the chat and can't see it, um, it's at uh, 
my website, mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and it's in the blog post. Uh, and thank you, Peggy, for putting together that list because you hadn't seen that like that anywhere, had you? No, no. There's a lot of news stories that are up, and and there's and donate here and donate here, but there's no just here's a list. Yeah, Rick sent us one that was kind of interesting because um, it uh, it had all these local. It was a local, and and mm-hmm. no links or very few links. Some phone. Some phone numbers, but yeah. basically show up at the corner of State and East, and uh, there will be, and you can drop this off. I went, okay, that's not really going to help right now in the larger scale. So, yeah. Peggy a lot went, of them are, are restaurants, you know, yeah. um, bringing food because they, they, they did point out on the news last night um, stuff you don't think about. There is no water, there's no gas, there's no electric, and there won't be for who knows how long. And we're heading into winter. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, and um, and and so uh, Rick DeMaio will be here to talk about that. And uh, you know, there were some. I heard somebody say yesterday, "Well, there's there's climate change for you." But you know what? This has happened before in December. Um, we had the one several years ago. Rick was uh, at the at a football game at um, Soldier Field. And that was, and the sirens were going off, and there were tornado warnings, and there, that was the tornado in. Uh, uh, I can't remember what. Uh, it, the it Illinois was, town. Illinois what? town. Washington. I'm, that's what I was thinking. Washington, Illinois, was it? Okay, I think but so. but anyway, somebody one one of our listeners will know for sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we will talk about that, and and like I said, if you. Um, are uh, so inclined, uh, go to click on one of those links and, and help those uh, people out uh, in, uh, who, who need it uh, in the middle part of our country. Yeah. Um, also, and yes, go. I was going to say, we'll, we'll talk about it again with Rick, but if you're not looking at it and, and, and go to MikeNovak.net, it's Red Cross, American Red Cross, Western Kentucky Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the Kentucky Governor's Office, Team Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund, which is like the big one that's been pulled together. And then Muslim Americans for Compassion's GoFundMe. And there's probably more. That's what it, the list was as of 10 o'clock last night yeah. that I could find. And that was added to the list we already had on the blog post. Because a couple of weeks ago, I was hoping that we were going to get to this. And then, as always, we get sidetracked with things. Um, but, Us? Uh, yeah, Us? Really? Really? Sidetracked by... <laughs> this is... I like your snowy owl. Your snowy owl sounds better than this. <laughs> That's just sad. However, I, I do have this. And you've got the big ones. She's got the monster jingles over there. So, I mean, you so could... So if, if anybody out there has better new year's little yeah then i don't know what you call that thing um send uh, oh, it to mike please. i've got another one i've got one in the pocket i could run and get it but i'm not going to do that no. uh so at any rate on the uh on the blog post also one of the things we're going to do at 10 o'clock is talk about different ways that you can help folks in the holiday season uh 
Block Club Chicago had a fantastic article, which I've linked mm-hmm. there, and, and we'll click on it, and we'll go through some of those, but there are uh, uh, volunteering opportunities through the Honeycomb Project, um, A Safe Haven, My Block, My Hood, My City, Greater Chicago Food Depository, uh, and Chicago Magazine did a thing earlier this year about uh, donate your time and money to these 10 Chicago nonprofits. So what we're trying to do is say, you know what? No need to be crazy about the holiday season. People have a hard enough time. Yeah, a lot of people are a lot worse off than you are. And uh, do what you can to help. And we're going to try to steer you in the right direction if we possibly can. So uh, that is something we'll talk about in the 10 o'clock. And before we get to our guest now, the final thing is I'm going to play a video for you uh, at, at 10 o'clock in the 10 o'clock half hour sometime in there that uh, is in the holiday spirit. And I think you're going to like it is uh, akin to something we've played on this show before. And I don't want to give away too much. Should I say that if you're a a Star Trek fan, you will you'll particularly enjoy it. I I don't want to off put people yeah. who are who are Star Wars fans and who don't like science fiction at all, but I think you will find it entertaining. Well, what they can th- get their coffee refill at that point, or, or they can they can open their mind to the wonders of the universe. Exactly, and uh, what I was going to say is that they could get their coffee refill, but you need to watch it too. It's not just listen to it. Yeah, uh, no. It, if you, if, Listening, you'll just miss it. You'll yeah. you'll miss it. You'll miss a lot of it. So I I just wanted to, uh, to and, get... and this was something from as you would say the inner tubes. We had nothing to do with it other than forwarding right. it along. No, me me. You know, I'm just trying to avoid copyright restrictions. That's all I care about. So uh, and and uh, and they already have in this thing we're going to show you. So that's at ten o'clock. You need to be around for that. And then it's uh, and after that, as we said, Rick DeMaio will be talking yeah. about the weather and the. Uh, the uh, catastrophic uh, tornadoes uh, in the central part of the country. So with that, we're going to talk about a couple of other ways this morning about how people can get helped and and how they can get uh, good, healthy food in our area. And let's go then. People working to do that already, yes. Yeah, and that guy's sitting there right there in his office, and he's and I know he's work working away because he told me he says, "Can I uh, can I do some work before I I come on the show?" And uh, Bob Kopak, absolutely, you can do whatever work you need to do. Uh, and uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is very very nice and. Uh... Uh, thank you for putting out that list of relief to those affected by the tornadoes. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are, are with them uh, this weekend and, and moving forward because it's going to be a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I hope they get some of the basics back, you know, water and electricity uh, and then whatever else and food, you know, and that's and that's kind of why we're here talking to you. Uh, Bob is the executive director and founder of the Eco-Friendly Mobile Farm Stand Project, which, as you can see, is really hard to fit on that screen there. Uh, and uh, But I, I managed to, to squeeze it in. Uh, that's a long you title. It. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I have to, I'm going to obviously ask you what it is and, and how does a person come up with an idea like this. Um, as a matter of fact, let me uh, pop in 
a photo so people can get a sense of what we're talking about here. This is one of your mobile uh, uh, farm stands there. And um, tell us how you got this idea and, and how you brought it to life. Well, it goes back quite a few years, and it's a combination of experiences and, and, and passions. I had actually worked, uh, my, my background is uh, developing uh, projects for corporations, corporate social responsibility projects, and linking in, uh, you know, with their foundations, uh, other nonprofits. And uh, so that, that was always my background. And uh, back in the... Um, 2000, I think seven or eight, I started working with an entrepreneur getting involved in the electric vehicle world. And um, it was it was a lot of fun. I learned so much uh, about it and all the technologies. And at the time, the company was selling vehicles. And I knew uh, just from uh, me uh, reading about what's happening in the world of, uh, of hunger, that maybe these vehicles could do good. So as, as a company, uh, the company was offering these types of vehicles. And at that time, as you know, the uh, um, economy was pretty bad. And from a nonprofit standpoint, from a corporate involvement standpoint, no one really had the funding or the capital to, to, to make that happen, to purchase these vehicles. Uh, so jump about 10, 12 years later, um, you know, I, I kept up on the idea of, you know, what was happening in the world of hunger, uh, food insecurity, uh, particularly in the neighborhoods of Chicago and in the, in the Midwest. And I thought, you know, let's bring this idea back, but let's do it as a nonprofit. So let us uh, reach out to those who could use these types of vehicles and we could get into precisely what these vehicles are. Um, to uh, deliver uh, fruits and vegetables from community gardens, uh, help them do that, but in an eco-friendly way, gas-free, emissions-free. Uh, and that's kind of how that was the genesis of the idea. And I, uh, the very first project I did, I reached out to Indiana University Northwest, uh, their, their CURE program. Uh, C-U-R-E, and uh, they right away knew someone who could possibly use this. Uh, I'm originally from Northwest Indiana, so I was somewhat familiar uh, with what was happening there. And uh, it was great because it was one of those community involvement projects where all the right people got involved. Indiana University Northwest, Purdue University Northwest, uh, local chamber of commerce, everyone just kind of came together uh, to make this happen for Faith Farms and Orchards uh, in Gary. So uh, in addition to uh, the uh, uh, Mike and Linda Musselman, uh, uh, who originally were from Gary, Indiana, uh, and they live in California now, but they wanted to give back to their community, so they adopted this vehicle uh, for Faith Farms and Orchards. And that's one of the things we do is we, we look for folks to adopt vehicles for these organizations. And we're looking at uh, a photo of that operation right here. Um, uh, so where does the vehicle? Okay, it's got it, it, you're you're moving food. It's getting from A, as you say on your site, A to B. Um, where are you getting the food? Where is it going? Uh, for this particular one, Faith Farms and Orchard is a uh, urban garden in Gary, Indiana. 
in the Emerson community. Uh, so what they are able to do is to expand their footprint because the lack of transportation in the food insecurity uh, issue is a huge, huge factor. Uh, people not being, you know, people living one mile, two mile, three mile, four mile, five miles away from a grocery store. Uh, and no or car. Even, and no car. Uh, you know, in Chicago, you could take three bus trips, you know, to get to a grocery store and yeah. you're carrying all those bags. And, so, and, and, and let me stop you, just stop you there for a second, Bob. People who have cars, who have transportations, uh, transportation sometimes don't understand that, that in, they think in a big city, well, you can hop on a train. But yeah, and how many bags are you going to be carrying on a train or a bus? Mm-hmm. Um, that can get right. to be quite a burden. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, and then there's the senior citizens, there's the disabled. Sure. There's those who, you know, can't get to it even with transportation or it's really hard to get transportation for them. So what this does uh, is bring it to those areas. Um, in this case, this picture you're showing now, uh, what's really nice about the Gary Project, if you could see on the roof of the, the uh, this is actually the church that is uh, connected to the farm and is part of the farm, they have a solar panel system. So we're actually able to use that solar panel system to charge the vehicle uh, to do its job in the in the neighborhood, and that is delivering uh, fresh fruits and vegetables to those in need. So even from a, a, a community garden standpoint, uh, even though it's right in that neighborhood, there's still the idea of expanding beyond where people might not be able to even get to that that garden. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit. Uh, about uh, well, at, with the model you've got there, um, and I'm looking at, uh, okay, now I want to find it on your site, um, about the various places you, uh, you get stuff and who gets it. I mean, so A uh, would be food pantries, food banks, local community gardens, wholesalers, grocery stores, and retailers. Now, those are people who supply the food, correct? They could. They could. I mean, we're, we're definitely focused on the urban garden uh, to make it more of a community event. Those are some of uh, the other uh, so it's possible you list are, are possibilities. So it's possible it could go straight from a garden out to the neighborhood or to... That's exactly what it's doing in Gary. It's going from the uh, Faith Farms and Orchards garden. They pick them. They plant them. They pick them. They put wow. them in the truck and they could deliver them. Fantastic. Yeah. And then, of course, the idea is that it can go uh, a lot of different places, as you say, into the neighborhood or to schools, churches, parks, senior living facilities, housing communities, uh, or as you say, uh, a kind of ice cream truck, uh, which is a, a vegetable mm-hmm. truck going yeah. through neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's we kind of leave it up to, to the imagination of the folks we're working with who will receive the vehicle. So what we do is we kind of work on parallel paths. Um, you know, we're fairly, fairly new. So uh, the, the idea of having this uh, funding to do it, we're looking at more of an adoption uh, platform where a private uh, person, you know, like uh, Linda and Mike Musselman, they, they adopted the vehicle. So there we have a program fee uh, to adopt a vehicle that a corporation could adopt, foundation could adopt, uh, personal uh, uh, foundations also, 
And uh, so for six, right now we're at 16,500 to adopt a vehicle. So that vehicle could be adopted by, you know, ABC Corporation uh, mm -hmm. as part of their corporate so social responsibility plan. Then we handle everything from there in terms of uh, that covers the vehicle and it's a lifetime, lifelong adoption. So we're not looking each year to, to re-up. They adopt a vehicle and it's done. You know, what we, we work with them to see how much uh, exposure they want on the vehicle. As you saw, the vehicle in Gary's called a Muzzmobile because Mike's nickname was Muzz. So he nicknamed, he called it the Muzzmobile. The Muzzmobile. Uh, to help out those. Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait. That, so that's that... what we do. That's got to get a ding. There we go. Um, there we go. Uh, was that a good ding? Was that a good ding? Uh, so, so, yes, you know, we, we, give, we, we give good dings on the show. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. So the, uh, the vehicle itself, in terms of adopting the vehicle, what happens is uh, that covers the base vehicle, the charging system. Uh, but also one thing we like to do is get the community, that neighborhood involved. So... We work with graphic designers, sign shops, uh, trade students who are into carpentry uh, to help put the vehicle together. So mm -hmm. in addition to, uh, you know, the base, the, the, the adoption fee covering the base vehicle, there's also funds set aside for the signage, for the graphics. Uh, we, we love working with, you know, trade students that are maybe working in under, or, uh, learning in underserved neighborhoods to get some real world experience from a design standpoint and a building standpoint to turn this in to a farm stand. Okay. So, so get at, everyone at, involved. So at that point, if, if, if you adopt a vehicle, it, it is now owned by the organization that uses it to, to get the food out. Correct. Correct. They adopt it. We, we, our organization actually donates it to them. Right. Now, you could also get groups to pitch in uh, uh, to donate a vehicle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I assume. And, of course, uh, you absolutely. are. Yeah, you're a 501c3, so it is uh, tax mm -hmm. deductible. Um, and, uh, you know, I was a little surprised. that it, it's, Those vehicles are uh, not exactly cheap, um, although given that they're electric, and and they're not polluting. That's that's a good thing. That's uh that's part of the eco friendly uh, aspect of of your project. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's a low speed. It's a low speed electric vehicle, so it's a federally uh, designated class of vehicle. Okay. And so uh, the federal government has approved them. States then approve them, and then it goes all the way down to the municipality to make sure they're good with having them also, but it's, uh, you know, Meaning it's, they're, uh, they can go out on the street. They're not just on a golf course. They, they could go they on, go the on the street. There's it's 35, it's streets have posted speed limits at 35 miles per hour. The vehicles themselves, and these are, this is all the regulations. The vehicles themselves uh, are programmed to go about 20 to 25 miles per hour. So it is a low speed vehicle. Uh, but the range, depending on how you're using it and, uh, you know, where you're using it, you could go 20 to 25 miles on a single charge, an overnight charge, which yeah. is absolutely plenty for what you're doing in your neighborhood to go the one, two, three, or four or five miles a day to deliver these vegetables. Right. 
Uh, and as you say, at least uh, in this, uh, the, the vehicle we showed on the screen earlier, um, that already has a charging station. Uh, is it, does it charge up the same way that an EV charges? Uh, this actually has a charger that can plug into your regular 110 amp service uh, uh, or 15 amps, you know, with 15 amps. Um, So it doesn't take anything special to build out. You literally can plug it into whatever circuit you have at your home or building or garage. Wow. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's pretty convenient. Um, Urban farm. But as, but as you say, in this case, this one is being charged by, uh, with the help, let us say of electricity that is being generated by solar panels in gary in our gary project yes yeah all right now uh go ahead peggy no i i just had a question for bob but you were following up no 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 no. that's okay go Go ahead i'm curious of some of the stories behind this bob of when the vehicle first showed up in the neighborhoods in gary what was the reaction i think everyone was very very excited about it uh definitely uh uh, we, we got the vehicle probably a little late in terms of the harvest season in Gary mm-hmm. uh, or anyone in the, anywhere in the Midwest uh, with, with Mother Nature uh, uh, starting, starting the freeze. So uh, we were able to do uh, a few deliveries with it prior to us, uh, you know, putting it away for the winter. Uh, but for an uh, uh, urban farm that may have the capability to grow year round based on, you know, the weather, uh, they can certainly use the vehicle throughout, uh, the whole, whole year. But in terms of reception, everyone's really, really excited about it. I, it's something they haven't seen before. It's something they haven't thought of or considered, yeah. and they just saw how much it can help in so many ways. Well, uh, that's pretty much what uh, attracted me to your story is that i not seen anything like this. And I thought, okay, let's, let's bring Bob on. But uh, my question now to you is where else are you going to do this? And how are you getting the word out? Obviously you came to the big show here because <laughs> Absolutely. to get, to get the word is out. Here. I don't have to do anything else. The <laughs> That's word right. Is out. No marketing necessary because you've been on the Mike <laughs> Novak show with Peggy Malecki. That's the way that, that thing works. Uh, but seriously, folks, um, you know, I, w- I would suggest to you that uh, uh, you got to get yourself a Schmetterbook account. Um, that's Facebook to uh, the uninitiated. Uh, I mean, because uh, h- how else are you marketing this right now? Well, we certainly have a LinkedIn page. Uh, that's a start. That are, yes, for those that are involved in uh, the hunger issues, um, transportation issues. So, we link up with uh, a lot of those folks uh, that are just involved and passionate on, on, on the subject of, uh, of hunger, uh, urban gardening uh, folks mm-hmm. also. Um, so there's a lot. I mean, we're talking at, to at a Greentown? lot of people. Right? Pardon? Do you know the folks at Greentown? Greentown? I'm not familiar with Greentown now. Oh, well, we're, we're going to be talking okay. to them. Uh, that's uh, uh, John Harris and in, in uh, a group called A5. And they put together green towns all over the Midwest. We we will have to uh, give him your information. And uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, but there's so that's many places. Nice. I mean, 
uh, we're going to be talking about advocates for urban agriculture uh, on uh, coming up in in the next segment and how they uh, they play uh, into the uh, uh, farm that uh, we're going to be promoting, um, and uh, which is uh, the uh, and I'm and I'm blanking here the. Um, Growing Solutions Farm. Thank, thank you. And that was like the title of my blog post, which I cannot remember, of course. I, I use, I use the, the, the term 800 times and then can't remember it on the show. Um, so, but there are so many different organizations. Yeah, you've got to tap into uh, to all of that, Bob, because there's a, a, a wealth of goodwill out there. And, um, and that's, again, what we're trying to tap today on today's show. So, uh, yeah, we're, just, we're, we're, we're here to help. The other, the other thing is to flip it a little bit where either uh, uh, food banks could use these vehicles to send out to collect food. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking beyond vegetables and fruits then. You're talking about, you know, non-perishables. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you send those out to neighborhoods to collect the food in an eco-friendly way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the idea of unused food. So if you have a concentration of restaurants, you know, if there happens uh-huh. to be leftover fruits and vegetables where you can get them fast enough from them to a food pantry, once again, the vehicle could be used for that. So there's there's other ways, uh, other creative ways uh, that this type of vehicle could be used that we're more than happy to talk to people about. Yeah. Um, so and, and there's the economic standpoint that you are not paying for gas. I checked this morning. I, the average price of gasoline in Chicago is three eighty five a gallon. So if you do the math. Uh, you know, say a 15 gallon tank, uh, that's 60 bucks a week, you know, close to $240 a month that you're spending on gasoline. Uh, and then when you look at, I believe it's the feeding America site, it talks about $1 equals 10 meals. So Mm -hmm. if they don't have to spend money on gasoline, you know, that could be almost 28,000 meals a year that instead of the money going to gasoline could be used to actually feed people. So That's just some of the economics. So one one quick question for you: for those who can't, who who maybe the sixteen thousand isn't in their realm, how else can they help? Well, uh, definitely, we're always looking for people to help us get the word out and just to connect with us, share ideas, uh, share other contacts. The sixteen five once again isn't. We're not asking that from any of the people that were donating the vehicle to. Uh, the 16.5 comes from the adoption of uh, the vehicle by, be it a corporation or uh, foundation or uh, personal adoption. So, uh, but yeah, we're always just just to link in and have conversations. I mean, that's what it's going to take in terms of ideas and creativity to help solve this problem. Quite honestly, wouldn't it be great if I didn't even have to do this? Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, welcome to Utopia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in the meantime, we'd love to help out with our with our project. Well, uh, congratulations on doing this. Now the idea is we've got to get more people uh, involved in this so you can get the food out to the people who need it. Um, the website again, now I'm going to tell you about I'm, I'm giving you my my marketing experience as little as I have of it. Um, uh, the website is EFMFSP.com. It stands for, of course, the Eco 
friendly mobile farm stand project. Um, you know, you might you might want to streamline that a little bit, uh, just so it's easier for people to pop in. work on that. Yeah, uh, but you can find the link on my blog at mikenovak.net. Um, and I'm telling you, Schmetterbook uh, is a place to start to uh, start getting the word out. And uh, we'll see if we can connect you with a few people. But uh, really appreciate you. That's uh, very nice being on uh the show this morning bob and uh oh and i also have uh links there if people want to uh contribute i've got your phone number uh and um your email address address which is bkop64 at gmail.com and uh the link is there too so uh, we're, we're, we're doing what we can, Bob, to get the word out. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. This is huge. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Well, you have a, you have a great Sunday and keep us posted on, uh, what happens with, uh, with the vehicles. Okay. Happy holidays, Bob. That. Thank you so much. All right. Happy well, holidays. Take happy care. holidays to you too. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more about growing things with a special group of people. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Please, please stick around. Starting seeds with fluorescence? Let's talk. You've used fluorescent bulbs for as long as you can remember to start your seeds and they work. We get it. Or you look at alternative lights to start seeds and the fluorescents are noticeably less expensive. We get that too. But I'm here to tell you, you and your plants deserve better. It's time to take seed starting to another level. Here is why a good quality LED grow light does so much better than those fluorescent bulbs. Your seedlings will get a better start in life with stronger stems and no legginess. Not only will they have stronger stems, they will be stronger overall in order to fight off disease. You can get them in the ground faster because the cycle time for growth can be shortened. You will save money overall because you can grow better quality plants in a shorter amount of time with much less energy than you use with fluorescence. to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Um, 
Uh, we'll get to your tomato bomb there, uh, Peggy. Uh, I, I found where, no, I see where it is. Yeah. Uh, it's blurb for the intro of today's show that's running with the video. And what did I, did, did I, instead do, of saying tornado, it says tomato. Oh no. The, wait, is this, <laughs> I, I think we fix it after the show. Cause it could just mess up the broadcast. Yeah. No, we're not, it. we're not going to do that. I couldn't have typed in. No, tomato. It's, as Diana said, no, it's probably autocorrect. Did it. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, but I wanted to mention before we get to Tucker Kelly, who's being very patient and sitting there. Thanks for being with us, Tucker. Um, you just saw the uh, the uh, commercial for a Dive Heart. That's another 501c3. If you want to donate to a really good cause, we run their um, uh, PSAs on the show, uh, and they help build confidence, independence, and self-esteem in the lives of children, adults, and veterans with disabilities through scuba diving, scuba therapy, and related activities. It's just a remarkable program that gives people with disabilities confidence. Um, I mean, they go and water some people who who have lost limbs uh, Mm and find themselves in a a whole new world where they control what they're doing uh, in, in the water and, PTSD, I believe, um, autism and, and related as well. Yeah. Yes, um, which takes us to, to Tucker Kelly because of some of... Uh, oh. We've got some bells, yeah. I like that. Right next to a church. <laughs> it's a nice right. intro. I right? love that. Uh, great sound. <laughs> uh, and I know where that is. That's on the near west side of uh, Chicago, uh, like Roosevelt and what? We're at Racine and Flournoy. We're at we're on Lexington right now. Right, but uh, it, Shrine of Our Lady of Pompeii. That's that's her. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, well, Tucker Kelly is with Growing Solutions Farm, and and of course, thank you for having. Uh, thank you for being here, and and I'm going to thank myself for having the title right there because I couldn't think of it earlier. But uh, how could I not? Um, it, it's a wonderful. Uh, organization that you're hooked up with urban autism solutions um can you tell us very briefly about uh urban autism solutions it's always a really difficult thing to describe my job and the organization and what we do it's it's very unique it's very cool so i manage a farm called growing solutions farm which is a program of urban autism solutions which has a number of similar programs that are mostly concerned with job training or enrichment for young people with autism or related diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do broadly. I manage a farm. I work directly with students on Chicago's west side in the public schools, but we we operate all over the city depending on need. Right. Um, And since 2012, uh, Urban Autism Solutions has served more than 1,000 young adults and provides a multitude of social and vocational opportunities um, through innovative community-based programs, including the West Side Transition Academy and um, the uh, Growing Solutions Farm, 1.2 acres. Um, and, and, it's, and it's interesting because reading about uh, Urban Autism Solutions, and by the way, can you tell them they can turn off the bells now? It's, that's okay? It's, it's oh, a, yeah. We're, they're going a little long with it. They should do yeah, service. I, really? 
and right on cue. Thank you very much. (laughs) I never realized the power of this show until I I, I start talking. Wow. Don't let it go to your head. Yeah, no, no way. Uh, uh, But, uh, and of course it is, 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 uh, thrown me completely off of what I was going to say, but no, what I was going to say was actually is from reading the materials there. Um, I became aware, and it, and it makes perfect sense that kids with autism, we have programs for that now in schools, but you get to a point where you're you're no longer in school and you're out in the mm-hmm. real world, and that's when it gets really difficult. Uh, isn't that right, Tucker? Yeah, you know, so I'll start this um, with maybe what Rob was doing, which is to fill in the gaps where they're needed we do the same thing as an organization. So students who have um, exited, let's say grade 12, and they're they're continuing as students um, past grade 12, they receive services until age 22. Uh, Previously, when students turned 22, they stopped receiving services. They were no longer a student with Chicago Public Schools. So if you turned 22 on the second day of school, you were only allowed to receive services on the first day of school, and then you were done. It was a strange way that that worked, but J.B. Pritzker, the governor, last summer signed two bills that made sure that students received uh, services all the way through age 22 school year. So if you turned 22 on the second day of school, you would receive services the remainder of the school year. And the idea is that these students who have IEPs and disabilities um, are, are, who are heavily impacted on the, on the city's tell, west t- side. Tell us what an IEP is. An individualized uh, education program. So those are, those are given by the, uh, the Chicago Public School social workers, and they just determine basically what services these students would receive within classrooms. Okay. So um, the idea for us is that those students who are above 18 but uh, and, and still in their um, year 22 grade, that those students would receive additional services from us specifically pertaining to job readiness. So I am a glorified job coach who does their work at a farm. Um, it, the idea is just that there's there's limited services for these students, that there's just not enough given for the school for readiness for the real world. Ideally, students find a job um, after their time with us, um, which means independence financially. They have somewhere to go and be every day in replacement of school, um, and they have a more enriched life because of it. Uh, but don't sell yourself short. You are a farmer, which is a uh, is a big deal. If you ask me, yeah. anybody who, who gets out and grows things uh, is is doing the right thing. So what are the ages of the uh, the students uh, and the workers? Yeah, so um, usually about 14 to 22 is generally who we work with. Um, but we, I guess, work with the sociological designation of young adult, which is up to age 30 or so. And we have program participants either in our programming, uh, adjacent programming, and then we also operate a residence with uh, young adults up to age 30 as well. So, and I'm glad, I'm glad you yeah. said the term young adults because I was sitting here, okay, what, what are, what's the term here? And boom, and yeah. you, you laid I'm it out. I'm 29, and I guess I'm still a young adult, so yes, you're, I'll take it. So am I, I think. No, maybe not. <laughs> um, so 
All right, walk us through a, a, a typical day at a Growing Solutions Farm. How, how, do, how does all of this work? And, uh, and besides yourself, what other folks are there um, helping out? Yeah, so I'm the only full-time employee that would work at Growing Solutions Farm. We have, um, I hire an assistant every year who works really closely with me part-time, and then we have a number of volunteers that are really helpful here at um, UAS, and they have their own kind of discipline and things that they work on, so I manage the farm very independently, but we have speech-language pathologists and social workers here as well. Um, The average day for the student when we have um, in-person programming at the farm, the best way to describe it is that it is a job. So while I could mimic what they do in school and have a curriculum, have tests, have grading and these sorts of things, we're not really interested in that. The best value that we can provide to students is the imitation of a work space, so a job. Mm -hmm. Um, students are expected when they enter the gate to the farm to be wearing their Growing Solutions Farm uh, uniform, which consists of a T-shirt or a hoodie, uh, their hat, given the weather. Um, they're expected to shake hands, greet. And these are really, really, really important things for our students to, to start with. It's important for any young adult to start with these habits because it just makes you very employable across any sort of job that you may have Um It's really important. One thing that's changed a lot for us um, in the past year and a half, obviously, the pandemic. It's completely changed what what we've been able to do for students and the quality of of impact that we can have on this community. Um, If you were to just take all of our programming that was in person and turn it remote, um, it would just lessen our impact. And that's what it did. The best value that we can give to our students um, is in person, hands-on, hands-in-the-dirt, Dirt in your shoes, sort of training experience. <laughs> yeah. And you've got some great. Students? Go ahead. Okay. I, I just could say that uh, I've got some photos here that are popping up. I don't know if you can see them there, uh, Tucker, mm-hmm. but you can see the. Um, yep. And these are uh, your young adults uh, in the uh, in the fields here. Uh, go ahead, That's Peggy. How, how many students typically do you have? In a, in a season over the course of a season probably as many as 75 on the farm at any given time as many as um 25 probably closer on average to uh 20 uh, and then we have multiple schools that we work with things have changed so drastically for us though um we're, we we had to completely nix programming that was in person for about a year and a half and it was only this past summer for extended school year esy that we were able to get Ray Graham back on site and working with us again. But we work with a number of schools on the West side and we're hoping to, to kick up programming next year. I think we're going to make up for lost time. Yeah. And by the way, congratulations. Um, that urban autism solutions was just awarded a $10,000 capacity building grant from advocates for urban agriculture. So I imagine that's going to help your program a lot. We were, and it was a, I can't thank that organization, Advocates for Urban Agriculture, enough for gifting us this money. And and I don't think people say this enough when they're gifted money as a nonprofit. Thank you for trusting us with that money. It's really important um, to be given that sort of, uh, not only the gift, but the trust that you're going to do it and, and, and you're going to use it in a way that's meaningful. Um, we were just awarded that about two weeks ago. I did the interview for it. I was Shaking in my boots. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you you were responsible yeah. for uh, like the final phase of this that, that they came to you and, and asked you about the program. 
the the team here did the um, the grant writing itself. I, yeah. I do a little bit of writing. I'm not much of a grant writer though, so learning that discipline. Um, but the last the last leg of it was an interview. So I sat down with. Um, they usually do their interviews with um, a few members of the organization themselves, and then they um, have people that they tap within the the agriculture community, whether it's within. Chicago or Cook County to sit in on these interviews. And I assume that they make these decisions as a large group um, with these members of advocates for urban agriculture tapped. So I was, I was the one who did the interview. Me and my, me and my boss, Heather, the executive director. Um, yeah. And we were awarded the, uh, the grant about a week later. Wow. Fabulous. You, you get a, you get a ding for that. Maybe even a little. <laughs> Thank you. No, just so sad. Just so sad. And please send Mike new noisemakers. Uh, yeah, please. Uh, and by the way, um, uh, on my uh, blog post, I uh, let people know that they can donate uh, to your 501c3. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a link to Urban Autism Solutions. And do you and do you have any idea what the ten thousand dollar grant will go towards uh, in the farm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suspect this is why we got it. So I am, I'm, I've worked around uh, educational institutions. I'm originally from Oberlin, Ohio. So I worked at a farm there that worked with um, college students. I also worked uh, with students from the, the nearby community college. Um, when I got here, I started working for the Chicago Botanic Garden, which would work with students. And um, I worked with formerly incarcerated people. So in my experience, it's always been really important to turn these things into wages um, and help young people who are trying to broach the industry, get a foot in the door to give them some sort of uh, paid opportunity to do the learning from the beginning, from the base when they might not have any, but they have the interest and the, the work ethic to get it done. So I think that maybe um, our, our, our desire, our willingness to turn this $10,000 directly into wages for another person was why we were awarded it and that's what we want to do. That's, I want to bring more people on board, you know, fill, fill up the ship more. Um, it's really important to me. So for students, for example, who are, you know, young adults who are, who are with an educational institution like city colleges or, um, a, a liberal arts school, they have so many resources. They have opportunities for internships that others don't have. They have opportunity for fellowships that might be paid, but not paid very well volunteering, we want to give people a job, something that they can put on their resume. And I want to be there for them later when they, you know, ultimately leave or, um, you know, seek you know, greener pastures elsewhere, leave uh, Chicago, maybe for somewhere else. And I want to be an advocate for them as well. Um, so that's where we're turning the grant money into wages. That's uh, fabulous. That uh, is exactly what you're trying to do here. And um, in turn, I'm not, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, um, uh, an expert on autism. Um, I know that in your programming, you're, you're teaching your young adults uh, how to build raised beds, prepare soil, tend compost piles. It's a, you know gardening and farming stuff. How, how to harvest, prepare food for sale, uh, but you're also teaching them transferable job skills wh- where they can go out after working. Mm-hmm. At the farm there, and and find the farmers markets too, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, they're involved in every single part of their process. As soon as they step on uh, the site, they're expected to do all the all the duties and responsibilities that anyone would have to do. And honestly, a measure of my success is can I take a step back and do nothing, and the farm still operates. So no, that's that's how I measure my own. Uh, uh, and and how how often do you get to do that? And never. That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be cool if it did, right? Yeah, it would be. But there's a goal. There's a goal for you. So, um, having said that, I, I, I'm not an expert in this. What are the sorts of things uh, that you are alert uh, to and, and and on the lookout for in uh, working with these young adults? Where what are there triggers? Are there things that you have to be uh, careful about? There's a number of um, concerns that that we often have. The farm, for example, is all bordered by fence. And sometimes we have students with issues um, such as like elopement, meaning that they would, uh, in in a frustrated rage, maybe leave the farm. But we've been incredibly lucky. And in my time here doing work with young adults with autism professionally has been just, it's been incredibly easy. So dispel any myths of, of, of problem actors or anything like this. Um, you should see the farm sometime though. It is incredibly organized. Part of that is due to the grower who preceded me, but I like to think also that I'm I'm very well organized. And this organization helps our students immensely. Labeling, uh, putting the things back in the same place every single time. These are things that make sure that they have success um, on the farm. There is a, a great quote and, I, and I'm completely mistaking um, and forgetting who said it initially. Um, but the quote goes, if you've met someone with autism, you've only met one person with autism. That's probably a loose interpretation of it, meaning that every person with autism is completely different than less. It is such a broad diagnosis and it's actually called autism spectrum disorder uh, in the DSM-2. And that just means that it's so broad and wide ranging that it can be difficult to nail down a, a specific uh, definition of it, but it's really important to remember um, some of the, the central tenets of it. And, and we try to keep those in mind when we're, when we're doing any teaching out there. And, and that's kind of w- what I assumed, which is makes me um, realize that this has got to be a pretty challenging job for you because not only are you, you're a teacher, but you're also trying to grow things and growing things alone is, is very difficult. And then add that extra layer of not just teaching, but teaching to young adults on this very broad spectrum uh, of autism. Um, it's, it's not for everybody, I would guess. Yeah. Strangely enough, I guess both of these things started when I was a kid. Um, farming was my first job. So 29 started when I was 17. So I already feel like a bit of a veteran. Um, and I, I got my, my initial experience, uh, um, doing production farming. So tractors way bigger, um, way bigger operation. And then doing the programming side of this sort of thing happened in the last few years when I moved to Chicago. We did some programming at my previous farms, but he really nailed down it. And it's kind of, a, you know, it's, it's the mode or the mission of the farms that I've worked for since I've been here. Um, but I have a younger brother with autism, um, my youngest brother, Alex. So that's, it's, it's how I kind of got into this. Um, and it kind of, I think maybe is what qualifies me to do this more than any other quality that I have, just that I, I grew up and lived with someone with autism. And I would be a, an advocate for, for young adults with autism long after um, I, my career is ended, you know, it's going to be a lifelong thing that I'll always be concerned about. Uh, that, that makes perfect sense. We should also mention that the farm 
donates 20% of its harvest to Westside Food Banks. Um, you're working with, uh, you've got, you know, you sell produce at three weekly farm stands and to local restaurants and to wholesalers as well. That's, uh, that's quite an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You can find us on a number of different places. We, we talked um, we talked a little bit about the ways that folks can donate, and you can you can go on our website to find op- options like that. But we also do a number of programs like uh, a boot camp in the summer, in which you know you support us and we support a young adult with autism. Um, a way that you can do that with produce is you can join our CSA. So you can join our CSA for I think it's two hundred dollars next year. You get um, I think it's eight total shares valued at $24 a share. That way you can support us and we can support you. So there's a number of ways that, that, that you can help us that there's no strings attached, but we also want to give you goods and services um, for your support. And by the way, uh, before we run out of time, uh, the website to go to is urbanautismsolutions.com. And then when you click on that, you'll see uh, the uh, growing solutions farm, uh, and you can donate button and there's a donate button as well. Um, and again, you can find this link at my blog post. So I have to ask you, uh, unless you've got a question here, Peggy, I want to get a, a gardening farming question in here. Um, the 2020, well, there a couple of things. Um, 2020 was, was a difficult year as, as you say, um, how did your, young adults react uh, or how do they react to the idea of being masked? Is that a particular problem as well? We've probably had more issues um, with the people around our students being masked than our students. Um, one thing about autism is that often it will, it will kind of encourage a, 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 um, habits. So if you get young adults as with any kid into good habits, um, We've never really had an issue with it. And they're receptive, too. Sometimes you can find adults are a little bit more more spiny about things like this. Um, but, but the pandemic impacted our students immensely. Obviously, we wanted our students out of, uh, of scenarios, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, when there was, there was no fallback on vaccines or masking or right. social distancing. Yeah. But we, we've been able to um, start programming again. Um, with those things and you know it's it it means the world to the students it's just a different quality of experience we can give them right so how was the 2021 growing season what uh, what were the challenges this year yeah yeah this past year we got like no rain it didn't rain at all i don't know exactly what the precipitation numbers were but we were watering daily i don't know if it ever really crested in terms of heat um, but we, we were dealing with just constant dryness like all year. It was difficult. Um, in fact, in 2020 was our highest benchmark for sales. We made about $21,000 at the farm, which was pretty solid for a 1.2 acre, 7,000 square feet of growing area farm, uh, traditional vegetables and fruit production. Um, but we, we came back down a bit. I think perhaps that's because we had so much support by people that were home who didn't want to go to the grocery store. And then, you know, like everyone did, um, made up for lost times in 2021 and, and they worked really hard and they were back out in the world and it was much more difficult for them. And it affected us by, in our sales like a little bit, not terribly so, but we want to get our, our sales back up in 2022. Yeah, yeah I, I, I absolutely understand that. 
Um, anything in particular uh, that uh, you were proud of that you grew this year? That we grew this year? Um, I think maybe the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of at this stage in my career, uh, more than the things that we grew on the success of the farm, is that we, we had a young man uh, working with us. Evan Callen is his name. Uh, I did a mentorship program. He was a mentee, uh, and he, he did wonderfully. He, I think this was his first uh, formal job within the industry. And, and, you know, he was just, he was the best employee that I could have ever asked for. Just, just a wonderful guy. Um, and he's moved on to Western Michigan now to work on some farms out there, bigger farms. And I, I'm, I'm just proud of him. <laughs> that was, that was the success story of the, of the summer. Great. That's a, that's a wonderful story. And I'm glad that uh, you brought it up. Uh, listen, uh, Tucker Kelly, thank you so much for being here with us. And again, folks can go to urbanautismsolutions.com. You'll see the donate button right on there, the 501c3. So it's going to a good cause. You just heard some great stories from Tucker Kelly. You're going to help uh, support Growing Solutions Farm. Congratulations on your grant from Advocates for Urban Agriculture. And uh, I want to get out. Uh, and see the farm. Would, would you give me a tour sometime? Absolutely. We'll have one of our students give you the tour. It'll be a job. Even better. You're right. Even better. Well, have one of the students uh, yeah. would do that. Fantastic. Uh, Tucker, you have a, a wonderful Sunday, okay? Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Peggy. All right. Happy holidays, Tucker. Yeah, happy holidays you. to you. Uh, when we come back, that video we, we mentioned, uh -oh. and we'll get, uh-oh, yes. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about other ways that you can help people in the greater Chicago area and around the country. Stick around. A big hello. From all of us here at Bartlett Tree Experts. Whether we're up in the trees, on the ground, in the office, or in the lab, we really do love our work. We feel so lucky to share our passion for trees with you. And we want to say thank you for choosing us as your tree service. We look forward to working with you. Season's greetings. Feliz Navidad. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. And, and Happy New Year. Before COVID, I was extremely active, extremely healthy. I exercised for a living. I owned my own yoga studio and massage center. I got COVID in June of 2020. I was in bed for 40 days. I had a fever of 103.5. I still have a headache to this day, and now I'm taking about 40 pills a day. Being a long hauler is devastating to your health, your well-being. Not getting vaccinated is like playing Russian roulette. It, it's a matter of time. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I Well, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And um, 
we're not going to show the video just yet. I, I, I think we'll tease people with it uh, just uh, for a second to prepare them. But I want to go back to uh, the um, uh, the links that uh, we put up on the blog post uh, to help folks, uh, the victims of the tornado outbreak, uh, not mm-hmm. not tomato outbreak, but tornado. tornado. I'm still trying to figure out what what's going on. Now, where did that appear, by the way? It's it's right on the video description for the show right now. Uh, on on uh, Facebook and YouTube, it's it's the intro. Really? In, yes. I don't even know if we we should be able to fix that. I hope we can fix that. I don't know. Oh my goodness! I should uh, go. I'm not going to try to fix it during the show because no, 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 we, no, no. We don't want. We, yes. we don't. We don't want to do that. No, no, no. No, no, don't, no, no. Do not poke the bear. Uh, ever, ever, especially Schmetta book and uh, and some of the listening. other. They're watching. But that's. Uh, um. Wait, it's in the I, video description. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. It says yeah. tomato. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. And thank you to our viewer, Diana, who noticed who, who, that. Who noticed that and uh and told us. <laughs> you know, probably nobody would you know, Diana, nobody would have noticed if you hadn't brought it up, okay? <laughs> nobody would would have seen that. But that means she's paying attention. Yeah. Um and yeah, that's good. Uh so those links are there uh, on our blog post, mm-hmm. um, and we hope you uh, uh, take advantage of that. And, and again, they include uh, the American Red Cross, the Western Kentucky Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the Kentucky Governor's Office Team, uh, Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund, and uh, Muslim Americans for Compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a GoFundMe page that they yeah. have. Um, and uh, as, as Greg and Audrey said, quote, it took less than two minutes to make a donation to the fund set up by the governor of Kentucky. Oh, good. So I'm glad some folks uh, are, are already doing that. Uh, and we mentioned that, uh, you know, it's the season for giving. And uh, we wanted to highlight some of that. There's uh, just a remarkable. I, I have to tell you, I, I love Block Club Chicago. Um, in terms of local news reporting, and here we're in a time when we're in dire need of local journalism. Um, and there are a number of you and I both get hundreds, hundreds yeah. of stuff that, of, of emails that come across uh, our inboxes. But I love seeing uh, Block Club Chicago, which I subscribe to. And you know, if you want to do some good in the world, subscribe to local journalism. That is one thing you can do as well. Um, and I know we all, we all complain about paywalls and I don't, I don't know about you, Peggy, you subscribe to more things than I do, but, um, when we're doing our research for the show, we're always coming across paywalls and you have to make a decision. Do I, how badly do I want to see this story? Can I find it someplace else? And, um, I understand the paywalls because uh, local journalism needs to survive. Yes. So, um, it costs a lot to produce daily, weekly, monthly, whatever. Yeah. News. But, uh, Black Club Chicago is one of the best. They came about because what was the, um, uh, DNA? No. Yeah. Uh, DNA Chicago. DNA Chicago, who 
the billionaire jerk who pulled his front funds from it. Uh, who was who was uh, the guy? I, I, can't, I can't remember. I don't remember. Who just got got all honked off and said he's pulling his money out of it, and that was local journalism. But a lot of those people ended up at Black Club Chicago. Yeah. Started they, Black Club. Yeah. They started Black Club, and um, they covered the neighborhoods just remarkably well. Uh, another one that I like uh, is an aggregator um, is Chicago Public Square. You can yeah. s- subscribe to Chicago Public Square. Um, and uh, th- what they do is, is they take stories mostly from Chicago, but ac- also across the nation. Um, mm. And they put them in one email. And then you can go through mm-hmm. the headlines and click the stories you want to see. Yeah. Uh, There's Axios is uh, another one that I get every day. Um, uh, I guess it's five days a week. They got to have yeah. week- weekends too. And and uh, uh, Monica Ang, who used to be at WBEZ, is one of the two Axios reporters there. So mm-hmm. she has uh, made that uh, transition to Axios. What's, what's interesting on Axios is the way they divide all of their stories, what it is, how it's relevant, why it matters. So it's it's just really easy to skim down and and get your information and dig deeper if you want to or read the headlines. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, Justin is um, who's uh, well, what's Justin's last name? I'm 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 looking, remember. can't remember. I, but I know too many Justins, so I don't. Yeah, too, uh, know of too many Justins. Yeah, uh, Monica and Justin at Axios. So those are three right there. If you're looking, you you can't figure out where you know, and don't get your news from Facebook, folks. Yeah, there's, I think, uh, really? Southside Defender. There's a few others, local that, news. That are just some great local news organizations. So you can start there uh, if you want to know what's going on in the world. And more and more, it's the world becoming a, a very dangerous place, and it's important to have uh, good reporting. We need, uh, we need to have that. So, But getting back then to uh, Block Club Chicago, what they did is – did a, a story called Give Local 2021. Chicago mutual aid groups and nonprofits where you can give or receive help over the holidays. And they just have this amazing comprehensive list. And again, you can go to my website, mikenovak.net. Uh, go the link up in the feed right now too. Click on blog if you, you know, because on the homepage we have the video and it's streaming right now on the homepage. But you click on blog and it'll take you to the blog post uh, for this week, uh, which uh, is is titled uh, How to Provide Good Food Through Growing Solutions. Um, And then scroll down under more growing solutions. Right. And there you'll find the article, all these uh, links. Uh, and the black club one, um, has them in alphabetical order and just some of the groups that they mention, uh, for instance, above and beyond an outpatient addiction treatment facility. I mean, it isn't just feeding people. It's all kinds of different organizations. The American Indian center, Asian youth services, uh, your, your your old neighborhood, Belmont Cragen Mutual Aid, connects neighbors mm-hmm. in need with groceries and other supplies in that area. Bernie's Chicago. Book Bank, uh, which we, we've interviewed on this show uh, through the Chicago Flower, mm-hmm. the late, great Chicago Flower and Garden Show. 
Um, uh, the Chicago Roo Crew's on there, the grassroots group rescuing and finding permanent homes for homeless roosters and hens. We've talked about that on the show. Yeah. Uh, Edgewater COVID-19 Mutual Aid Network. Um, the, Of course, the Greater Chicago Food Depository, and I link it elsewhere uh, on my blog post. Girls in the Hood Foundation, providing Chicagoland girls with a variety of services, including a shelter for young women. Uh, the Irving Park Community Food Pantry, holding a toy drive, hoping to fill the stockings of at least 300 area kids, 12 and younger. One Tale at a Time, Animal Shelter, helping dogs, cats, and rabbits find permanent homes and medical care for homeless animals. Uh, and a lot of these places, like uh, the, uh, I'm looking at the uh, Lakeview Pantry, Lincoln Square Ravenswood Solidarity Network, the Logan Square Mutual Aid, they're not just places you can donate. They're places you can also volunteer. Cause yeah. they, and, and this article has links to the volunteer part of it uh, mm-hmm. as well. And there's also a link at the very bottom. If you've got something happening that's not on this site, there's a link to add it to their reader guide of other ways you can help. Um, here's another one about animals. One tail at a time, an animal shelter that mm-hmm. helps dogs, cats, and rabbits find permanent homes and provides medical care to homeless animals. Uh, so And Red Door Shelter. Uh, No-kill shelter helps foster and adopt out cats, dogs, rabbits, and the occasional stray duck and chicken. Uh, And Southwest Collective, a coalition of groups based on the southwest side that uh, is trying to build community, uh, uh, that are trying to build community while tackling issues related to development, crime, and placemaking. Speaking of the southwest side, um, we got the notification... Might as well throw this in real quick um, from Friends of the Parks. And let's see if I can find that. Um, sorry, I just didn't realize I was going to go down that rabbit hole. But um, okay. well, so I'll, I'll, well, yeah, you're, you go ahead while I track this down. Um, we also have a link up on the blog this week from Chicago Magazine which I'll pop that into the feed as well. Um, an article, Donate Your Time and Money to These 10 Chicago Nonprofits. So this brings some others in there, like Care for Real, Market Box, um, uh, Collaboration. So this is um, putting food on neighbors' tables, funding activist-inspired art, acclimating refugee girls, tackling animal overpopulation in the city, um, helping reduce the toll of gun violence, um, keeping Chicago green. They've got working bikes up here. We've talked to them as well and uh, a lot of other animal organizations and Chicago Tool Library, which we've talked about. I know I've written about Natural Awakenings as well, um, which is a really interesting Bridgeport organization that it's a tool library where you can uh, borrow and donate uh, tools and various things um, to make repairs, etc. versus going out and buying them and having them sit in the garage. Uh, I, I know, and I found the, uh, the uh, newsletter we got from uh, Friends of the Parks. Um, this also goes along. There have been marches uh, about the uh, moving that uh, scrap recycling business to the southeast side. The southeast side, as you know. General just, Iron. General Iron has just become, the southeast side become a dumping ground for um, everything, it seems. Um, and... Uh, Friends of the Parks reports that local community groups and environmental organizations learned on Friday 
this past Friday that the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency approved the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers permit application to extend operations for another year of a waste dump by the Lake Michigan shoreline on the southeast side. The dump holds dredge materials from the Calumet River that pose a threat of toxic pollution of Lake Michigan. It could harm the community, which is already overburdened with environmental pollutants. Contaminants identified in the sediment from the dredge water include mercury, PCBs, arsenic, barium, cadmium, manganese, chromium, copper, lead, and more. And in their infinite wisdom, the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency uh, has said, hey, it's fine. Just let's 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 keep that there. Let's not turn it into a park. Yeah, let's pile Yeah, let's just pile more garbage on there, more toxic materials. It's really a disappointing decision again, but I keep saying it is the city of Chicago and if there were any political will in city hall, this would not happen. Any at all. I'm looking at you, Lori Lightfoot. So, um they're, they're going to continue to fight. I don't know what the next steps are, but it was just sort of a reaction to this thing happening. I'm sure they're getting their uh, act together and, and figuring out what the next steps are to try to prevent this dump yeah. from being continued on the south. It's at, right at the mouth of the Calumet that, River. It's, yeah, it's not posted yet on their website, so I can't post the link. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to um, – our others, yeah, you mentioned the Chicago Magazine. Oh, yes, and Kathleen is the one who alerted me to the Honeycomb Project. Um, and uh, they have a page there. You can go to thehoneycombproject.org and learn all about them. And one of their pages is, is volunteering during a crisis. Um, and they just have this a list. You click view all in-person projects and they give you dates and places where you can volunteer like um, deliver meals with love on Saturday, December 18th in Bronzeville, uh, big city cleanup also December 18th, help mm-hmm. shelter animals, uh, take a tour of the anti-cruelty society and learn how you can bring comfort to homeless animals, make cozy beds and toys to help animals stay active and healthy uh, on the some uh, stewardship opportunities or cleanup opportunities in natural areas. Uh, just uh, bring comfort with cookies, bake cookies, and write caring notes for families. Uh, so, I mean, just anything you can imagine doing is on this. And I was not aware of the the Honeycomb Project. They've been around for a decade, uh, hmm. and um, yeah, and uh, and and not only that, if they if you go to uh, let's see if we go to their homepage. I want to get to the homepage here. Putting kids at the forefront of social change. Yeah. Uh, there, and there it is. Uh, and so, um, they have 25,000 volunteers and growing and, uh, you can, uh, it it features people of all ages showing compassion through civic action. So it involves families, teens, adults. Um, so that's one place you can go. Um, I'll tell you what. Let us. I think I think it's time, and then we'll come back and do a few more of these. Okay. Yeah, you, a you, few more. Yeah. Let's and take- and we're looking for your ideas too. If you've got 
suggestions, ideas for how you can help during the holidays and beyond, because everybody's getting help at the holidays and come February, they still need the help. Well, please put it in the feed if you've got some of your favorite things. Right. That's yeah. Tell us uh, when. uh, Yeah. Right in the in our in our uh, our chat room here. Uh, things that you believe in that uh, you you think are worthy causes because we would like to announce those either this week or next week. But certainly, please uh, send us yours the mm-hmm. the causes that you believe in. Yeah. All right, or email us at mike at mikenovak dot net. Yeah. Um, all right. This is something that um, uh, Peggy, you found this. I don't know how <laughs> it popped up in my feed. I can't believe that it didn't pop up in mine. It should have. And I showed it to my friends and they're just, they're in love with it. Uh, so you take no other responsibility for it. So grab your coffees out there. Just sit back, relax uh, for a few minutes here and watch something that we think is a lot of fun. I don't want a lot of Christmas. There is just one thing that I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want to boldly go. More than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas Captain Log, it's almost Christmas, and there is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I don't want to hang my stocking there above the fire. Number one won't make me happy with the toy on the Christmas day. I just want to make it so more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is cute baby. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. As an expert in humanity, here, here is where I want to be. I don't want to box with Tisco far away on Deep Space Nine. I won't even rescue Janeway. Voyager will be just fine. I just want for Capitan Q, Captain Q, you, young man. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is Jean Luc. My love is a fever longing still for that which longer nurseth the disease. I do not love thee with mine eyes, for they in thee a thousand errors see, but tis my heart that loves. What they despise, who, in despite of you, are pleased to dote. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Captain's log supplemental. 
still one thing I need. I don't care about the present. Underneath the Christmas tree, I just want to make it so more than you could. I don't know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is. I protest. I am not a merry man. All I want for Christmas is you. All I want for Christmas is you. Until next time. The letter of the alphabet, as far as I know. And there we have it. Um, <laughs> that guy had a lot of spare time on his hands. That was uh, done during the pandemic, uh, which is not surprising. There's a, a lot of things that have happened during the uh the pandemic somebody was watching a little too much star trek at that point um, or, or next gen too much next gen well, with a actually, little bit of deep space nine and voyager tossed in oh yeah but i gotta give uh the the guy credit um i um let me uh, hold on a second well i want i forgot to have this ready. i'll just bring what? the owl in while you're yeah really <laughs> Because uh, the guy's name is John C. Worsley. And not He's only... Got a YouTube page. Yeah. Of course. And of course, this, this, this thing has uh, 366,000 views. So, um, And he's got others, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Others. Uh, Chris, no, I mean, Christmas memes from Star Trek. Other mm-hmm. Star Trek shows like Voyager and yeah. Deep Space Nine, and I mean, yeah, obviously. Popped up in the Facebook group, Star Trek memes is where I found it initially. Yeah, that's where you and and then I tracked him down and and found the his YouTube page. So there you go. I I hope uh, people will forgive us for playing that, but there uh, you go. I was just terribly entertained by it. Yes. Well, one thing I was going to bring up a little bit really quick and we can talk about this another time but as as you mentioned at the beginning and i went back and found the article with the um snowy owl um this has been in in the news this past week including milwaukee journal sentinel an oil fouled snowy owl was found yeah. at the milwaukee recycling center recovering at the wisconsin humane center right now or humane society um what's, what's that all about do you have any idea he was found a week ago Friday sitting atop a mound of material at a Milwaukee mus- recycling center, feathers fouled with diesel oil, and it couldn't fly. Um, the oil had soaked through the feathers, and this poor bird was stuck there um, after it has migrated from the Arctic because all the snowy owls are now coming into this area on Lake Michigan and, and the other Great Lakes. And they tried to clean as the bird tried to clean its feathers, it also ingested some of the diesel oil and other materials. Staff at the WHS Wildlife Rehabilitation Center was notified. Volunteers came out. Um, 
the birds being treated. It is, from what I can tell, still at the uh, Wisconsin Humane Society, but it's improving. Wow. But that's just scary. Nobody knows how it got this diesel oil all over it. Well, and while we're, well, that's a little hot all of a sudden. Let me take that back. Sorry. I've been tweaking the the sound here, trying to get it exactly right. Uh, While we're talking about birds, um, one of the interesting things that has popped up, and this is something, again, Kathleen showed me and then you did and I, then I saw it on TV and yikes uh in Pittsburgh, Memphis and Los Angeles massive bur- uh, billboards recently popped up declaring birds aren't real. And it's this and it's uh on Instagram, TikTok, birds aren't real there's accounts. Protests, there's been outside the Twitter office to to take the logo off. Right. And and the idea it's a Gen Z fueled conspiracy theory which posits that birds don't exist and are really drone replicas installed by the U.S. government to spy on Americans. Hundreds of thousands of young people have joined the movement wearing birds aren't real t shirts, swarming rallies, and spreading the slogan. But, but the truth of the matter is, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, they're punking people with this. Um, it's uh, it's it, 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 it. They say here in the New York Times, it might smack of QAnon, um, the conspiracy theory that the world is controlled by an elite cabal of child trafficking Democrats. Except that the creator of birds aren't real, and the movement's followers are in on a joke. They know that birds are in fact real, and that their theory is made up. It's a parody. In a post-truth world dominated by online conspiracy theories, young people have coalesced around the effort to thumb their nose at, fight, and poke fun at misinformation. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's funny. And uh, apparently... And, and point out how easily misinformation spreads. Yeah. It's part of the whole... And apparently they show up at, uh, uh, at protests, some of these conspiracy rallies, and then they start shouting, birds aren't real, and... Often the the rallies kind of they don't know what to make of it and they diffuses the energy from it. And I'm I'm proud proud of these people. I wish I had thought of it actually. So yeah. uh, that's that's pretty interesting. All right, uh, we're going to get time you, for Rick yet. I guess I haven't. <laughs> I don't know. We'll. I think it is. Um, and uh, we will. Uh, see him i haven't seen any new stuff he said if he did i'm not going to be able to get it loaded in that's for sure and there's there's one other um and we'll we'll keep talking about it i know we're talking about it next sunday uh one other organization that has a gofundme right now and that is save bell bowl prairie ah yes yeah and we will be um okay and i think uh yeah he did send something uh, I'll be lucky if I can get any of it. Didn't see it. It's ten oh five is, is uh-huh. when it came in. So let's do this, and uh, when we come back, we'll see if uh, I can load the stuff for meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Please stick around. 
from spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. to imagine anything more powerful than a severe storm. They can come upon us and have a devastating impact on our trees and homes. Heavy winds can uproot entire trees of any size, especially when the soil has become saturated by abundant rain. They can also cause very large branches to snap and fall. Lightning strikes, wind, snow and ice, all these things can put a valued tree at risk and even compromise the safety of your property. Mother Nature is unpredictable. The best thing you can do is to be prepared. Bartlett Tree Experts is here to help. Our Arborist representatives are experts in pre-storm strategies that can reduce the likelihood of storm damage to your trees. When they visit your property, they will inspect, assess, and recommend an appropriate course of action. Pruning can remove dangerous dead branches or target heavy limbs that may pose a threat in high winds. Structural support systems such as high strength cable or bracing rods can make it less likely to fail. Lightning protection systems can protect high value, susceptible, or mature trees and safely conduct strikes to the ground. And based on the location of the tree and its proximity to walkways or structures, Bartlett Tree Experts can also provide safe removal of trees that pose a high risk of failure. Now when a storm does hit, we can work long and hard to help remediate tree damage. If our clients' trees and properties are impacted, we understand their needs may be pressing. We meet this urgency by mobilizing our crews immediately upon the passing of the storm. And because we operate in many areas, we are able to bring these teams in quickly from other parts of the country, not impacted by severe weather, and we begin working as soon as conditions allow. Once emergency services are complete, we begin the process of cleanup and repair on other storm-damaged trees and shrubs. Even if your trees seem unharmed, it's a good idea to have one of our arbors perform a more detailed inspection Sometimes critical damage to a tree can possibly go unnoticed to an untrained eye. So remember, before the storm and after, Bartlett Tree Experts is here to help. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. There he is uh, having breakfast. Uh, Rick, dining, yes. Yeah. Um, I just saw your email, so I'm going to do what I can to, to get some of those graphics. I got some from yesterday, um, but, uh, that you sent, uh, will I'll do what I can to get, uh, whatever I can, uh, uh, up on the screen here. Actually, I want to, uh, start with, let's see, I think it's here. Let's bring this in. Um, this is pretty amazing stuff that, uh, you sent, you sent a couple of photos, which are just terrifying, like this one, um, that screenshot. Uh, but the, these are the guys, uh, who were out there and, uh, I have, um, a video from a storm chaser. And, and uh, these are the tornadoes 
going through Missouri that we're showing photos of right now. Um, yeah, uh, take a look at this, and I, I'll, I'm going to track down the uh, storm chasers. For, for those who aren't, who are just listening to the yeah. side of these supercells uh-huh but clearly you can see that um you know when it's dark out especially in december it makes it really hard for people who aren't paying attention to warnings or hear sirens uh to see what's coming at them i think that's one of the reasons why our death toll was so high with this event a couple of the reasons as well we'll get into yeah uh i'm gonna this guy is uh reed timmer are you familiar with him rick oh yeah i know reed Oh, okay. You know him personally? Uh, 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 no, I don't know him personally, but I, I know of him. I've met him. A yeah, times. yeah. I'm going to move it up a little. Oh, I love it when they yell that out. It's just... Power flash, yeah. That, yeah. So the difference between a power flash and a lightning bolt is typically the lightning bolt will come from the sky and the power flash will come from the ground. And usually, you'll notice that there's a lot more brilliance to the sky with the power flash because um, it's emanating outward through much lower clouds, kind of like when a uh, an L train goes by on a foggy night. Yeah, and power flash, you see like the whole sky light up, and you don't you don't typically hear a rumble of thunder thunder with the power flash. Yeah. So he's yelling right now that that's a wedge, um, and this was the one that. Uh, Peg was referring to was in Missouri. It went from Arkansas to the Boot Hill of Missouri, northwest uh, Tennessee, and then eventually into um, uh, eventually into uh, that part of western Kentucky. But this this was the most incredible tornado I think I've ever seen. Uh, a the, the ferocity of it was on the ground for over 250 miles, um, and B it was in December. I mean, there are, yeah. there are a lot of people, Mike and Peg, in the meteorological um, community right now that are just, we're, we're in shock. We really are. Really? This yeah. is, this it, is, oh, they were saying on WGN is, that it was a mile wide at times. It was, it was easily a mile wide. Um, the path length is almost probably going to end up being about 250 miles long. Um, and it's going to break the record of the longest track tornado um, on record, which was the Tri-State Tornado back in March of eight, uh, March 18th, 1925, and that particular storm um, went from Missouri through Illinois into Indiana, and when you look at them on a map, uh, the path length, the beginning and end, you can literally move them with about 50 miles in either direction, and, and they'll literally meet up with one another. So, and there- ironically... Yeah, there's another. Uh, that's uh, probably a, a combination lightning flash and power flash at the same time. Yeah, and then, yeah, it's just unbelievable stuff. So, uh, just thought I would. Uh, oh, I think I think you'll see the. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. There it is. Watch. I'll freeze this. You can yeah, see the I mean, end. Yeah. Yeah. So typically, when you have a, a tornado of this magnitude, there's going to be what's called a. Um, uh, B-word, which is a boundary weak echo region. Uh-huh. So what's happening is the updraft is so strong 
Um, if it is, and there's also the uh, the wall cloud, uh, which is emanating at the base. But if you do like the old right hand rule in physics, you put your finger out, your hand out, and you turn it like that. Okay, as you turn it um, inward towards your body, the vertical motion is going up so fast uh, that the precipitation can't get down to the ground. And that's one of the reasons so what's why the you vertical, see a- Tell us of that what's again. What's the vertical rule? Because we, we, Mike was still showing the other video. Yeah. Oh, so, so the, the right-hand rule in physics in electricity is that you put your hand out, you turn it to the right. Um, so the, the, the current is actually going in an uh, in inward way, and then the direction of the current on the, on, along the power line goes that way. Okay? So the right-hand rule... Is, is it kind of goes like this, all right? Um, you'd have to get into more of a physics discussion here, but the bottom line is as you turn the air so violently inward, it doesn't allow raindrops to reach the ground, nor does it allow hail, hail to reach the ground. So you end up with an area on the front left side of the tornado as it's moving to the east uh, with no precipitation. Um, sometimes you can get a rain-wrapped tornado, which is even more difficult to watch, to view, uh, but this one, I mean, if, if you look, I went back and looked at probably about 60 different maps yesterday between small-scale surface, larger-scale surface, 5,000, 10,000, 18,000, 30,000 feet. And each time you, you're, you're looking at these maps, putting them all together, I mean, it had all the earmarks of a long-track violent tornado. Um, it had the instability. It had the moisture. It had the source of lift. Um and then it happened on a Friday evening um, after dark in the month of December, two weeks before Christmas. And you go, that's not supposed to happen. And, mm. and one of the things that, that are so unsettling for meteorologists is as we see these things unfold and you're kind of, you know, like a little kid in a candy shop, you know, kind of cheerleading it to happen because you'd never seen anything like that before. And then you have the realization that this is going to kill people. And then you begin to see the tornado itself on radar literally move right over a town. And then you quickly check, you know, you do a Wikipedia on a town of Mayfield. You never heard of it before. And you go, oh, my God, that's 10,000 people. That's not a small town. And it's heading right towards them. And then you look at it and literally – your heart just sinks. You get this, you get this clump in your throat that goes, all right, I don't want to see this happen. I want to see it, you know, stay over open territory. Oddly enough, prior to it hitting Mayfield, if you look at a map of population in that part of Western Kentucky, it's very rural. There are no towns west of, or west southwest of Mayfield uh, for probably about 25 or 30 miles. So wow. as bad as it was in Mayfield, this could have been so much worse if it went through Memphis or so much worse if it would have went through Paducah, which was only 25 miles to the north and west. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you get a Friday afternoon, two weeks before Christmas, you have a lot of people out and about, you know, holiday parties, get-togethers, I got to get this last gift before next week, because I don't want to do it next week. Yeah. Friday afternoon, you have a lot people of people out working in the factory, in the factory, extra shifts for extra holidays. Shifts for yeah, holidays. yeah, I think that that's, that's a good point, Peg, is like, I go, okay, we had a moderate risk out, we had a tornado watch out, there was a tornado warning, 
And then there was a tornado emergency, which is the one step up from a tornado warning. And I'm thinking to myself, why were those people in the factory? And then you go, like Peg said, okay, they're, they're, they're trying to get things done. I get it. I understand it. But did they have a, um, did they have a plan in place? Did they, did they evacuate to the proper area? Did they have a place to evacuate? Did they have a plan? I mean, those are all questions that we'll find out later. But when you find out that a factory was filled with people, especially ones where with a high ceiling that you know that you get even F2 winds, that thing's going to come down. Were those people, um, you know, protecting themselves in the proper way? So as, as and that was the can- you can- to clarify, that's the candle factory, not the Amazon warehouse in Edwardsville, Illinois. That's a different tornado. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if we weren't talking about the tornado that hit Mayfield, we'd be talking about the one that hit Edwardsville, which was an F3. You know, two F3 tornadoes in, 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 in um, the St. Louis area that produced significant amount of damage and killed, what, a dozen people or six people, something like that. Uh, but again, you look at the Amazon factory, did they have a plan? You know, were they aware that this was going to happen? And most likely when you're working in those factories, you probably got earmuffs on. It's really loud. You can't hear anything. There's music playing. You know, was there sufficient information um, that got to those people in time? I would have to say in, in these days with the cell phone, I mean, everybody's got their phone on. And all it has to do is start vibrating. You go, um, there's a tornado coming towards us. What are we going to do? So, the bottom line is um, there's a lot of different questions that probably need to be asked on why the death toll was so high. But again, when you start getting these out of season tornado events of this magnitude, this far north, this late in the year, people aren't expecting it to happen. And this is one of the things that we've been talking so much about a more variable and changeable climate is to expect the unexpected and if there is a possibility of tornadoes like there was, um, heed the warnings. Do you know that last Sunday night, there were two tornadoes that went through Southern Illinois, through Murfreesboro, and one that went through Carbondale. And it showed you that the air mass was ripe last week. Yes, never cooled off, never dried out. Uh, the moisture across the Gulf of Mexico was in play, enhanced by above-normal Gulf of Mexico temperatures. And while we'll get storms like this um, with 60-mile-an-hour surface or winds above the surface of 5,000 feet and 130-mile-per-hour jet stream winds, they're not supposed to produce tornadoes. So the dynamics are there, but it's the moisture and the instability um, that's a result from a much warmer atmosphere and a much more moist atmosphere. That's going to result in events like this um, more and more into the future. And there's there's no other way to talk about it other than it's real, it's happening, don't discount it. So therefore, people have to start to change their mindset about what to do in certain situations during certain times of the year. And it just, it just it's so heartbreaking to see something like that happen when you see a tornado on radar going right for a town and you just know, I mean, you, you can just go, people are going to die. You just, you just know that there's nothing you can do about it. Um, 
because in many locations, you know, those people don't have storm shelters. They don't have basements in some of those areas. So what do you do? You live in a wood framed house that's, you know, 80 years old. What do you do? You work in a factory. What do you do? Um, so yeah. it really, really is disheartening that we had two different factories. And I, and I think as Peg pointed out, um, those things are humming along, you know, probably 24 seven this time of the year. And, you know, here's someone getting up and going to work and saying, honey, I'll see you when I get home. And never make it. Well, I've got some of the graphics here that, um, show this storm that you sent. Um, this is kind of the setup for it. What, what are we looking at here, Rick? And, and well, real quick, Rick, we also yeah. have a question. Was this one tornado that, that moved, or were these multiple tornadoes? It was a question from... Um, that's always Rick. a great question, Peg, because it was one supercell that um, probably dropped one or two tornadoes. But generally speaking, once a tornado of that magnitude gets going, it doesn't, it doesn't weaken. It doesn't you know, drop another one down and reform it may go through cycles where it spins up or spins down. Um, and you, you can clearly see that um, when you look at the long track radar. Um, you also have to remember that um, when you have big storms like this, there's probably other storms nearby that may actually keep the radar from looking at the storm in the same way the entire time. Um, it's just like anything. It's like if you get a bad cell, you kind of, you know, you move your phone around or you, you, you move your head around if you have an earpiece on to try to get a better, uh, to get a better frequency. So what will happen with these storms when you look at them on radar, they may look a little bit different from, from one radar to another. But when this tornado went through Mayfield, um, it was due south of the Paducah, Kentucky National Weather Service office by only 26 miles. And the radar site... I, I did a little bit of uh, scientific measuring here. Uh, it was only 23 miles from, from, the, from the tornado. So it had an outstanding view um, of the inside and the structure of that tornado. The only thing that may have, you know, polluted the imagery a little bit was that the tornado was actually on the south end of the storm and the heavy rain was on the north side. And sometimes the radar beam will get a little bit of attenuation. But... When you go back and you look at the beginning and the end of this one supercell, there was nothing to the south of it. It had nothing but southerly winds of literally 20 to 25 miles an hour. And I think the thing that was most revealing, and I was watching the Weather Channel, and Carl Parker did a fantastic job. Chris Bruin did an amazing job. He was in Memphis. And he goes, guys, it's 8 o'clock at night. And it's 80 degrees, and the dew point is 67, and it's the 10th of December. And you can see all three of them just went, holy shit. <laughs> it's like that's, A, not supposed to happen in Memphis, and it's not supposed to still continue to be that way at 8 o'clock at night. And then you looked at right. all of the other reports south of that particular supercell, and they all basically had 20 to 25-mile-an-hour winds that literally going were going right into um, the south side of that supercell where you saw Reed Timmer um, looking at it to the north and west. Uh, also, that part of western Tennessee and western Kentucky um, is actually fairly flat, even though it's a little bit highly elevated, you know, six, seven, eight hundred feet. 
there's not a lot of hills in that area. So the wind flow was literally going right into the supercell. Mm. And then I was looking also at the winds in the upper levels of the atmosphere and over northwest Tennessee and western Kentucky from 4 p.m. in the afternoon to about 10 p.m. in the evening. Uh, the winds at 100, the winds at 30,000 feet actually increased from 85 miles an hour to 135 miles an hour. Wow. So what happened was the storm was actually moving into an area where the upper level winds were not only strengthening, but beginning to fan out a little bit. So the, the dynamics of the atmosphere from a wind standpoint, you're going to get that in the middle of December. That, there's, nothing, there's nothing surprising about that. But the fact of the matter is that this had the amount of warmth and the amount of, of water vapor in it was just off the charts. And you looked at this thing and you went, oh, my God, if one of these things gets going and if one of these things gets rooted, it's going to go on and on and on. So what you're, what you're showing there, Mike, that's what's called the horizontal velocity profile. If you go to the previous graphic, the previous graphic actually shows the, what we the, call the, the, one that, the one I had up before. Uh, no, pre- no. Oh, the previous graphic uh, on the, the previous page. Just slide up. Uh, no, I, I can't. I can't. That's not the way it works here, Rick. Uh, let me see if. Uh, um, yeah, keep it's talking. Let me see. Let me see if I can get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's oh. fine. That's fine. So what what you're seeing there is if you see that black dot and you see the green and the red, that's the site of the National Weather Service radar in Paducah, Kentucky, which, by the way, um, handles about eight counties in southern Illinois. So if you go down to southern Illinois, your forecast is actually from the Paducah, Kentucky National Weather Service office. So the green is the wind flowing towards the radar, and the red is the wind flowing away from the radar. This is what we call the horizontal velocity profile. So one of the things about Doppler radar is it can scan the sky from both the vertical and horizontal perspective. Anything falling vertical will be looked at as either rain or hail or snow. Anything going horizontal is going to be either towards the radar or away from the radar. But that dot that you see, that red dot to the south-southwest of the black dot, that's the actual tornado. And if you look closer there, and you could share this with your listeners if you want to or viewers, is where you see the red and the green almost kind of like become a couplet. And then you look at the scale on the right. The scale on the right shows the red to be about 65.2. If you look at that number, that's that's 75 miles an hour. If you go to the blue, the blue side of that, of that dot, all the way at the bottom, that's about 70 knots, which is about 75 miles per hour. So what you do is you add those two together. So you add 75 and 75, and you have 150 mile per hour winds. So that's what's occurring. That dot actually shows the couplet of where the winds are going away from the storm or the way from the radar and towards the radar. And you could actually follow that for almost 250 miles. And it you know, kind of ebbed and flowed there a little bit. But the fact of the matter is there was nothing else to the south of the storm. So literally the storm ate up every bit amount of water vapor and warmth, and then the dynamics just took over. And what's really more remarkable about this is for years, we would always say that the tri-state tornado, the one that went from Missouri through Illinois and Indiana, not more than 100 miles north of where this storm was, was most likely two or three different tornadoes. Because we, we said 
1925, no stormers on the ground for 219 miles. And they've done a bunch of different studies that kind of exhausted the possibility of whether or not it was more than one. They just said, okay, it was probably one. And now we know that this happened. So we now have Mm -hmm. complete evidence that validates the storm from 1925. So that path back in 1925 was 219 miles long. I, I did a little bit of meteorological investigation and the distance from Jonesboro to Central City, Kentucky is 240 miles. And the tornado actually ended up somewhere around Central City, Kentucky. So clearly this began a little bit before that last report and a little bit after Uh, But the Mm -hmm. fact that it went right through that town of Mayfield and missed some of the larger cities is really remarkable. But again, all the way from Missouri through a little bit of a tip, the boot heel of Missouri, northwest Tennessee and western Kentucky now makes this the quad state tornado uh, and not the tri-state tornado. And here's the graphic that that you... You were hoping to get. You were hoping to get. Yeah, yeah. So, again, if you look at the black dot, the black dot represents the the site of the National Weather Service radar. And some people say, well, why is it black? And it's black because the radar can't point straight up. So the radar doesn't see anything straight up. The radar is only looking horizontally. So if if you take your eye and you go all the way due south of the black dot and go over a little bit to the left, you can actually see where the radar has a little bit of a hook. And that little bit of a hook and that little bit of appendage that's sticking out a little bit, that's where the tornado is. And when you can see it that clearly both on radar and on satellite, there you go, uh, when you moved it like that, when you see that much on the front end, so when you see that, that area between the bottom of the dot and a little bit to the east that there's nothing in there, that's the inflow and where the, where the vertical motion is strongest, there's no rain falling. So essentially where the tornado came through right before it came through where the town of Mayfield, it, it, what, it may have been raining a little bit, but not a lot. The only reason why you probably had so many people who were killed by this is because it was dark and there was probably some power lines that were getting knocked down. There may have been some cell phone town, cell phone towers uh, that were knocked down as well. Um, and we know, we do know that cell phone towers are vulnerable to high winds. So we need to get, those things, or at least the power lines that are associated with cell phone towers underground. Uh, But again, if we're relying on cell phone towers and um, sirens to warn people, and these things are vulnerable to high winds, that's not going to help in in situations like this. So this clearly shows that um, there's still a lot of work to be done on getting warnings to people. Obviously, population expansion and increase is going to hurt. You know, the the demand to have, you know, people's economies working up and through, you know, late hours in the evening is also going to be somewhat detrimental. So this is where adapting and mitigating to a changing climate um, is imperative. So this is the watch that we had. You know, we had the outlook. We had the watch. We had the warning. We had the mesoscale discussion. We had the tornado emergency. You have the sirens. Yeah, I mean, you have everything possible down to make sure that people know that this is going to occur. And when you look at this, you go, wait a minute. So we have a slight risk, an enhanced risk, and a moderate risk. So on the bottom right there is the legend for the possibility of severe weather. There's five risks, marginal, slight, enhanced, moderate, and high. You got a moderate risk. 
I mean, in the freaking month of December, not only month of December, but late December, we're talking December yeah. 10. Um, and not only that, but the slight risk made it all the way northward um, into the south side of Chicago. And it was confirmed that there was an EF0 tornado um, in Lake County, Indiana. That's the latest we've ever had a tornado around here. And uh, quite possibly this is going to rival um, the tornado outbreak that occurred in Illinois uh, back in 2018. That was only three years ago. We actually had the most significant tornado outbreak in the history of Illinois in the month of December just three years ago. And it's it's not like that was anything that was, you know, a sleepy event. That was mainly southern Illinois. But you look at that long track, and there was actually not one but two different lines of thunderstorms that came through. Um, and, again, if we weren't talking about Mayfield, we'd be talking about the storm in, Ev- in Edwardsville, um, in and around the um, – uh, St. Louis area. So again, uh, I, it, it was it was it was good that President Biden um, discussed the fact that this was you know related to climate change, and obviously he needs to do that. Um, I was funny when I was listening to him yesterday, and he talked. He he mentioned that we're, we pray for the people in the path of the hurricane. I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> senior moment. Uh, yeah. that he mentioned that it was yeah. a hurricane, but again, I'm I'm okay with that. Um, but you they look at used this to damage. talking about hurricanes and not. Yeah, right. I know. You got a hurricane on your mind. But you look at this damage, Mike and Peg, and this is probably going to end up being 75% F4 um, and about probably 25% EF5. And those images that you just showed there, Mike, of the house being completely blown off its um, its foundation, that that's F5 damage right there. I mean, look at these trees. I mean, these are big trees that are uprooted out of the ground that's generally hard and dry this time of the year. And think about it, there's no leaves on the trees. So the only way you're able to get that tree out of the ground is to have 200 mile an hour winds or a car flying through the air that's going to knock it off. The difference between leaves on a tree and no leaves on a tree is taking your sailboat in Lake Michigan and taking the sails down and see how far your boat gets pushed. Nothing. But the fact that you see this many large trees uprooted, pulled out of the ground, like you see there, there's like one, two, or three right there, and a house completely ripped off its foundation. You just, you just, you marvel at the fact, look at the way these trees, the stumps, there's nothing left. I mean, the last time I saw damage like this was with the F5 that went through Joplin, Missouri. And typically when you get a tree that's, that's snapped off at its base like that, you probably had a car or a truck, um, you know, one, if not two, that pushed through it. But this is something that, I mean, it gets you excited about being a meteorologist, but at the same time, man, days like this suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, they were showing, um, it's not in this footage, but from Mayfield, the fire department, Everything completely oh, yeah. destroyed. All the equipment, I, totally destroyed. Yeah, that was in that was in Stronger, Tennessee, pig. And when Tennessee, okay, uh, when that, yeah, when that first report came out from Stromber, it was like, whoa, that's not good because right away you have the there, there's a there's a very quick inability to respond to stuff. But when 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 you see this type of damage when you see there's nothing left of these trees. And again, we're talking, 
December where there's no leaves left and it's been really dry in this area. So the ground is not saturated, not at all. It's, it's like literally walking outside and, and you try to get your foot in the ground and it's hard. Now, granted, they haven't been cold. They've been warm. But nonetheless, I mean, trying to get anything out of the ground in something like this, I yeah. that's why I think the governor um, and uh, the first responders did really an amazing job by saying, look, I know everybody wants to know about the number of dead, but this is a fluid situation. We, we have to we have to we, we have to start going through. Um, you know, forests and, and trees. I think this is the candle factory in Mayfield that was destroyed. Yeah, it looks like to look, it. To look for people. I mean, what, what do you do in that kind of a situation? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, there's, there's no other way to describe it um, other, than, other than awe and shock not disbelief because we we know this is something that's going to happen but man when you start to hear about you know death tolls you know north of 85 and if this gets if this gets higher than 110 uh this will be the deadliest tornado to hit um a single community since the woodward tornado back in 1947 which killed 111 people that was in uh, oklahoma in, yeah uh, oklahoma yeah yeah um and th- that was in may you look at the top 10 tornado outbreaks that went through communities that killed, you know, a certain number of people in a town. They're in April, they're in May, maybe there's one in March, December. Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. So at what point I don't point know if you had a not... chance. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, at, at what point does this not rattle people's cages? Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if Go you ahead, had a chance Jake. to see that Axios article I sent you of lower 48 states could have warmest December on record. Yeah, I mean, and that's through, what, the, I think the 10th or 11th. Uh, that'll probably change a little bit. Um, and, you know, they got some snow, obviously, out west. Um, decent snows in parts of Colorado um, and Utah. They've gotten really good snows up in, in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. So those resorts that rely on snow for snowmobiling, um, are feeling pretty good, but that's going to last for two days because the warm weather that's coming, I know you guys want to talk about that before we end, uh, the warm weather that's coming over the next couple of days, that's all going to turn to mush. So you get into these situations where I, I, I just don't know what, it, what more it takes for people to go, this is not usual. And then, yeah, you can always say that I shoveled six inches of global warming and yeah, thanks for that 10 degree below zero temperature, Rick, for climate change. You know, that's like saying, you know, you're going to you're going to take advantage of what your doctor said and you're going to lead a very helpful life. But every once in a while, you're going to have a steak and you're going to have a drink and you're going to have a cigar. Is it going to kill you? No. Is it going to make you feel good for that short period of time? Yeah. But are you doing things right overall? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is just it. it's really. Um, it, it, it makes it really hard to be a, a, a meteorologist, especially when you, when you know that something is happening and you literally, it's like seeing two cars, you know, going in the opposite direction on the highway and you want to be able to call them up within five seconds and say, you guys are going to hit each other. And now you're just waiting for this to hear that sound, you know, and that's exactly what happened with what, what occurred Friday night. Um, Although, you know, it's I, 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 I'm so glad to hear you say 
what you're saying about this and and climate change. I was watching uh, Skilling because to, just to see what was going to be happening in Chicago here, and of course we dodged that bullet there. It, there were it really was a pretty much a non-event here. Uh, but he said, yeah, we're, we're you know you can get storms like this in December, but that was before the next day when we realized just what had happened. And and you're saying, yeah, this is really beyond the idea that we might get a, a, a de- December storm every, every, every once in a while. Yeah, and I, and I think what Tom was saying was you can get, you know, thunderstorms this far north, um, but, you know, there was a tornado in northwest Indiana. That, that yeah. doesn't happen in yeah. December. Um, and I think it wasn't his job County at that morning. point. Yeah, yeah, warning as well. I don't think that I don't think that was his job at that point to go into some sort of you know um, soliloquy on 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 talking about why why this is happening. You just get to the point and you move on yeah. because at that point your job is to deliver the news, not to you know opine on it. Um, but at the same time, I think deep down inside, I mean, Tom knows that this is not normal um, yeah. and knows that in, in areas of the United States. Um, where these things are happening, this is not normal. And this is also, I, I mean, um, you're going to get more and more of these events occur, you know, especially late in the year. And you just, you just hope that people just need to know more about what to do in certain type of situations. I guess yeah. that's only one, only one way to talk about it. Great uh, reporting though, uh, Rick, uh, on all of this. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was, it, it's, um, a labor of lust, but at the same time, when when you hit the return button, you go, "I'm done." You go, "I hated every minute of doing that." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, probably like what you know, what what certain doctors have to go through in life, where they go, "I got to operate this guy, even though I don't think there's a chance he's going to make it, but I'm going to do it anyway." Well, um, you just I'm got a, a doctor, you, you just got a compliment from one of our viewers, uh, Amos says, Dr. DeMaio's dissertations on weather phenomena is by far the best feature of your show. I would disagree with that, Amos, but uh, that's okay. You're allowed to have that opinion. Yeah, it's the opening and the closing that's the best part of the show. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and all the stuff in between. Uh, it'll definitely turn much cooler around here next Sunday. Um, and I've been asked several times, you know, what are the chances of a white Christmas? I think 100%. I think the pattern changes and we get into some little clipper systems that'll bring some snow here. And Diana says she saw lilacs blooming a week ago. So just telling you, <laughs> it's weird out there. Uh, Rick, uh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Um, uh, I, I, let's hope we don't have anything like this again for a long, long time. But as you say, it's probably going to happen. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Sounds good. Peace, everybody. Uh Wow, that uh, that uh, that was intense. That was, uh, but that's uh, good for everyone to know. So, I think we just do this and thank uh, all the folks uh, who are on the show today. Uh, which I'll, co- I'll tell you what, if you've got it, I don't have it in front of me. I have none of this in front of me. Uh, I want to thank Tucker Kelly. From Growing Solutions Farm and Urban Autism Solution, and Bob Kopek of Eco-Friendly Mobile Farm Stand Project. See, it's, it's good you've got that going. And, of course, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Rick DeMaio.
Kathleen running around and helping out upstairs. Uh, Legata, who disappeared and never seen again. Basil, who was quiet, right? Yeah, a little barking. Yeah. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Stadler? Uh, What? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 